Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk About That with your host, Maida Olandala. Now, it has been quite a while since I've last uploaded an episode, and I'm really sorry about that. There's just been a lot going on in my life in general, um, things that I've had to do, places that I've had to be, um, and just so much where I kind of got distracted a little bit and just didn't have the time or energy to put out something that I could be proud of. So here I am now, I'm probably going to be putting out a few episodes in close proximity to each other to kind of make up for the lack of episodes that have been out in the past almost a month. Um, But today I thought that we could talk about something a little more chill, a little more relaxed kind of, just things that I'm really interested about and things that are kind of cool and interesting. Um, And that is kind of some new brain technologies that are used for treatments for neurological and psychiatric disorders. Um, These aren't necessarily like super, super new cutting edge technologies, but they might not be things that you are super aware of or things that you might not like really understand how they work, even if you've heard of them before. Um, And firstly, just we've gone such a long way in all these treatments for disorders. Um, Back in the day, and I mean like a really, really long time ago, before we understood what psychiatric disorders were, what mental illness was, what neurological disorders were, how the brain can get damaged, and what that will affect. Um, When people had some mood changes, like things like they were experiencing depression, or they just, um, they didn't, like, there there were some changes in their personality. What they used to do was actually drill holes into the skull. Um, to release the demons that were inside of the brain and release the evil spirits. And that's called trepanation, which was like the drilling holes into the skull. And it's just really interesting. I mean, now it's kind of obvious that all of these problems have to do with like damage and changes in the brain. But when you think about it, like back then, they didn't know how these things worked at all, but they knew that they were in the brain. So we've always known, or at least for a very long time known, that mental illness is an actual thing that happens in the brain and that there are physical changes that are happening in the brain. And so that's kind of cool. Um, We are no longer drilling holes into skulls to release evil spirits to treat mental illnesses, but we have a lot more um, technologies and things that we can do to treat not just mental illnesses, but so so many um, neurological disorders as well. And I know something that's really scary to think about is things like Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's disease and Huntington's disease. All of these neurological disorders um, that don't have treatments or cures. I mean, they have treatments, yes. There are medications and pills to treat things like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and we now know a lot more about it to treat them. But what we don't have is a cure. We now know that Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease may involve things like prions, which are misfolded proteins. And we're trying to come up with cures related to that. But right now, we don't have anything that is a definitive cure, anything that is actually slowing down the progression of these diseases, but only things that can provide symptomatic relief. And one of these treatments um, is not a medication, but it's something that you would administer if medication is not helping or the side effects from the medication are doing more harm than they are good, and that is something called deep brain stimulation. Now, this is, again, not a relatively, like, new cutting-edge treatment, but it definitely has been improving over the years. Um, So, what it is, basically, 
is it works similarly to a cardiac pacemaker, but instead of um, implanting electrodes into the heart, you're implanting electrodes into the brain. And these electrodes are connected with um, kind of like a battery pack or a very small neurostimulator implanted in your chest or abdomen. And those two things, like the electrode and that, are kind of connected, and it sends electrical pulses to the area of the brain that the electrode is implanted to. And it's treated, it's used to treat movement disorders mainly, such as Parkinson's disease, which causes like tremors and shakiness because there is um, issues going on in an area of the brain called the basal ganglia. And the basal ganglia is very important for many things. It's part of the reward system that has to do with the way the opioids work. And most importantly, it is a part of a lot of movement disorders because the basal ganglia is very important for movement. Um, especially with the neurotransmitter dopamine. Dopamine is found heavily in the basal ganglia, and that's what the main kind of cause of Parkinson's disease is, is when there's not enough dopamine flowing in the basal ganglia and in the brain in general, and that's what causes kind of these tremors in movement because dopamine is involved in movement. And DBS is also used to treat um, things like essential tremors, which are tremors that like have rhythmic trembling in the hands, head, legs, uh, or voice. It's also used to treat multiple sclerosis, which is a disease of the central nervous system that attacks the immune cells of the brain. Um, It's also used to treat intractable pain, which is pain that isn't relieved by typical medicine or surgical treatment. It's also used to treat dystonia, which is when the muscles are contracting involuntarily, and other psychiatric conditions that have not been any, they haven't seen any improvement with medication. So DBS would treat things like OCD, anxiety, and depression. So I saw this really amazing story of this woman who had Parkinson's disease and went through DBS surgery. Now, I think this video was, it wasn't recent. It wasn't a very recent video. I want to say maybe it was filmed in the 80s. I could be wrong, though. But this woman, she, before Parkinson's disease, she was described by her friends and family as someone very active and someone who went out a lot and did so many things and was constantly moving and so happy and joyful all the time. And then Parkinson's disease took over and her whole life was pretty much taken away. She suddenly wasn't able to walk or like change her own clothes, get out of a chair by herself, or even turn over in her own bed by herself. She relied on her husband and her family to do everything for her. And she just really wasn't herself again. And it really took over and it took a toll on her. Um, She wasn't very happy, obviously, in the situation that she was in. And then her doctor said that she might find some treatment um, in DBS. So she underwent the surgery. And the thing with the surgery is that the patient has to be awake when they're undergoing the surgery. And that's because the doctor needs to know exactly where to implant the electrode. So they have to do some test runs with that first. And so the patient needs to be awake to be able to move the way that the doctor's telling them to do. Um, in the video, he w- said, uh, showed them in the surgery, and the doctor was like, can you move your right hand up and down? Can you open and close your fist? Can you talk? Can you wink with one eye? Because the way that the brain works is one side of the brain controls the other side of the body. So the left side of the brain will control the right side of the body and vice versa. And the electrode is only going to be implanted into one side of the brain to relieve any symptoms that are happening in the other side of the brain. So it's not something that would treat both symptoms on both sides of the body. 
Um, so she was awake during all of that, and she had to do whatever the doctor said in the movement so they could figure out exactly where to put the electrode, because they can't just stick it somewhere in the brain and be like, well, that'll have to do. It's a very precise location. Um, but she underwent the surgery. They found the location to put the electrode in, um, and after a while, after some practice with the electrode and just treatment and physical therapy in general, she was able to start living her life again. She was able to actually kind of get up walk a little bit, do some things with the side of her body that was now working, and it was a lot better. And after that, a while after she had gotten used to that, she decided to get the surgery done on the other side of her brain as well and get an electrode implanted into both sides of her brain. Um, the doctor said that this might work, but again, deep brain surgery, deep brain simulation, sorry, it's not a perfect surgery it's not a perfect procedure there are risks that can happen um it's not a hundred percent risk free at all especially back then when the treatment and the procedure wasn't like perfected you know like it's obviously improved a lot since then but she said i'm going to take the risk i'm going to get the second electrode and i want my life back and she underwent the surgery again and it was a complete success she was able to walk again and not only that after a while the interviewer of the video that was making the video on her, they met with her months after the second procedure and she was running. She was so happy. She was able to run again. She was able to have parties with her friends and family and be herself again. She got her life back because of DBS. And that was just such a great heartwarming story. I wish I could find it again. Um, but it was just really great to see that this treatment is not just something new that's out there. It's something that's really improving people's lives and giving them their old self back. But it is important to realize that DBS, like other treatments that are used for things like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's disease, it's not slowing down the progression of the disease at all. It's not actually curing the disease. It's not attacking the disease at its source. It's just providing system symptomatic relief. And actually, DBS can provide people with Parkinson's symptomatic relief for over 10 years, which is amazing. It's better than any other treatment for medication that we have so far. Um, it's a really great um, procedure that we now have for people with Parkinson's disease and other disorders where medication was not working for them. And so yeah, that's just, that's DBS. It's something that's cool to know. It's really interesting. I hadn't heard of it before I took a neuroscience class uh, a few months ago in the, during the summer. Uh, and that's what I learned about it, and that's why I watched the video. Um, so yeah, that's DBS. So next, we can talk about electroconvulsive therapy. So this is mainly used to treat psychiatric disorders, most commonly severe major depressive disorder, but also bipolar disorder that has not responded to other treatments. So the patient, in order to go undergo an electroconvulsive therapy, because it is not like a very simple thing to do you know you want to make sure that you've exhausted all of the other options first so that patient has gone through all types of therapy they've tried medications and nothing seems to be working um and their depression is still very severe so they undergo electroconvulsive therapy so this needs to be administered in more of a medical setting there needs to be a team like a team of trained medical professionals like a psychiatrist an anesthesiologist and a nurse because the person is under anesthesia during this procedure um, and basically what it is it's a br brief electrical stimulation of the brain and this actually induces a seizure so ect is essentially like medical induced seizures to treat depression 
And that's just kind of crazy. Like, you never would have thought that that would be an option for treating depression. But it is. And it does have, like, it works. Like, it works. It's kind of effective. It's been recognized by the American Psychiatric Association, the American Medical Association, the National Institute of Mental Health, and other organizations. Um, but again, like, it should be used kind of as a last resort. And it's, it works best when the depression is severe but uncomplicated. And it provides substantial improvement in about 80% of its patients. It can be used in bipolar disorder and schizophrenia as well. And sometimes it's used in treating people with catatonia, which is where a person can become like agitated and unresponsive. And tests have shown there's nothing wrong physically with their brain. Um, and catatonia is a kind of like a very severe disorder, especially because that person is, uh, if they're unresponsive, they can't eat or drink anything, which is a huge problem. So EZT is also used to treat that, which is really helpful. But it works best when there are other treatments involved as well. So other treatments might not have worked on their own, but for EZT to be really like improving for a more longer term, it should be combined with some sort of therapy or even a medication. And the patient might need future rounds of ECT as well. It's not kind of just a one and done, you're perfectly cured treatment, but it can be very helpful for people um, struggling with severe depression. And similarly to ECT is something called transcranial magnetic stimulation or TMS. And it's also used to treat depression that has not responded to other therapies. Um, but instead of inducing seizures, it involves rapidly alternating magnetic fields and this stimulates specific areas of the brain. Um, it has mild side effects and, but it's administered four or five times a week for a period of four to six weeks. So it's kind of a more longer term thing that happens, but like within six weeks, but it has to happen multiple times, unlike ECT, which might just happen like a couple of times in the span of like many years. So yeah, that's ECT and TMS. I have never heard of these before, um, like a couple of months ago. It's not something that you talk about much. Like when you think of depression and other psychiatric disorders, you're like, okay, there's medications and there's therapy. But there is another option here called ECT and TMS. And that's like really, really interesting. And I hope you learn something from that. Now, lastly is something that's not necessarily a brain technology, but a new treatment and it's, probably something you've heard of before, but you might not fully understand how it works or what it does. And that is naloxone. Now, I've seen billboard signs actually on the highway um, from like hospitals sending messages about naloxone to get people aware of what it is and what it can do. So again, like you've probably heard of this, but you know what, I'll just explain what it does. And there are some similar treatments for opioid addiction that doesn't involve um, naloxone because naloxone is an emergency response it's used when someone is at risk of an, ov an opioid overdose they um, have just taken the opioids and they're unresponsive or they have like severe signs of like addiction and they're about to like go into like cardiac arrest um and so every first responder should know how to use naloxone how to administer it um it can be prescribed in like train like the doctors can train uh the family members and friends of a person with an opioid addiction on how to use naloxone and they might also have naloxone at the hand um for emergencies so naloxone is used as an injection which makes it really easy for people who aren't like medically trained to be able to use it in emergencies and it only works if that person has opioids in their system um 
And it's also non-addictive. So it's not something that people can abuse and use to their own benefit for a drug. It's not something that has to be scheduled at a certain time. It's an emergency um, medication for people. And what it essentially does is it counteracts um, life-threatening depression of the central nerve system and the respiratory system. So during an opioid overdose, those parts of the body may be failing, and naloxone allows a person to start to breathe normally and kind of like prevents any long-term serious damage of that from happening. And so the way it works is it binds to opioid receptors on the brain. So normally if a person had taken an opioid, um, those opioids would would bind to the opioid receptors in the brain. We have natural opioid receptors because our brain produces natural opioids called endorphins. And this is used when we experience some pain, it's our brain's natural painkillers for our body. And so when a person is abusing opioids, these opioids bind onto these opioid receptors, lock onto it, and just release a flush of dopamine. And that's what provides this like rush of like euphoria. That's what it's called, just rush of pleasure. And that can be a huge problem. It's highly ad- addictive. Um, it's super easy to abuse the drug a lot, even though opioids are prescribed in medical settings all the time. Um, so what naloxone does is it binds onto those opioid receptors, the same ones that an opioid would bind onto, and it blocks them. It block it prevents any like excess dopamine from being flooded. It prevents the opioids from binding onto those receptors, and that can prevent the effect of an opioid um, on a person's body, and it can be life-saving. And besides naloxone, there are two other drugs that can be used in a non-emergency setting to help relieve a person of an opioid um, addiction, like to help treat their opioid addiction. And these two drugs are used in more of a clinical setting, so you can go to the doctor's office or go to a psychiatrist's office and get these drugs administered through IV. And that is buprenorphine and, and a drug called methadone. So buprenorphine and methadone are actually drugs that work very similar to opioids. They also bind onto opioid receptors and release dopamine, but the difference between methadone and heroin is that methadone is much less addictive and it doesn't cause as big of a rush of euphoria as heroin and um, other hard opioids. And they are prescribed in a controlled setting where a doctor is aware of what is going into your body and everything is controlled and it's used to slowly reduce the urge to take more opioids um, over a long period of time. And these drugs work best when the person taking them, the person with the addiction of opioids, is being very honest with their doctor because there's something called doctor shopping. Now, opioids, like I said, they are prescribed. They are used like after surgeries for pain control and treatment, and doctors prescribe them. But what a lot of people do is they might go to different doctors um, and ask for more opioids for, pres- for prescription. They might go to other places, like in a different state or a different hospital, and they just go up to like the front desk, be like, hi, I would like a prescription of this. Most of the time, they might not even need to talk to an actual doctor or actually get some tests done. For them to just sign a prescription, hand it to you, you can go pick up your pills and be on your way. And, you know, it's not a very uncommon thing at all 
like my father as a doctor has told me about patients that have done this and it's just nobody nobody checked that they are going to multiple doctors to get these prescription and that's very important there is a database of all doctors and hospitals in an area where you can look up a patient's name and see what medication they have been prescribed from which location and that's important for doctors to keep checking because that's helpful to prevent an opioid addiction and help to track an opioid addiction because oftentimes the addiction gets too bad before people realize what's going on and it's it's very hard to treat an addiction that has gotten way worse than it could have if people had known about it earlier and had an intervention. But that's naloxone, buprenorphine, and methadone. Buprenorphine and methadone are also, they're two different drugs. Um, your doctor might administer either one depending. Um, I believe methadone is less addictive and it's used in more, um, more cases than buprenorphine. But yeah, so these are some treatments uh, for psychological disorders, mental disorders, um, and neurological disorders of the brain. Um, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you learned something new. Um, now you know what naloxone is when you see those signs on the billboards. Um, and I will see you in the next one, which will hopefully be very soon. Bye!